my wife and I are both veterinarians, and we have had a very blessed life so far. Um, we graduated from school. We're madly in love. We've had healthy children. Um, they've done well. We've had no great catastrophes. Uh, we've grown spiritually, uh, and that's been a really good thing. We've been blessed to sit under some really great teaching. Um, and, and I had a long way to come and a long way to go, but, but we were making progress. But we felt a bit empty, and so we'd, we'd, we'd done the American dream. We had the kids. We had the dog. Didn't have a fence, but not a picket fence, but we were doing well. And, uh, but we just felt like something was incomplete. And so we, we were searching, and, and I'm sure we were taught a sermon, or maybe God just touched us. I can't point to some kind of specific epiphany. But um, James 2, verses 20 and on, kind of hit us, where the Lord says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his face and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Um, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And that kind of, I know, rang scary with me because I knew that, that salvation was a faith thing, but here suddenly faith might be incomplete if, if there aren't deeds with it. And that was not so fun because it meant stepping out of our comfort zone and doing something else. And so we looked and tried to figure out, well, what kind of deeds are we capable of doing? We were pretty busy uh, with children. We were pretty busy with work, pretty busy with each other. And so um, God sort of smacked us down with James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. And that sounded pretty good. Pure and faultless sounded like the direction we were hoping for. Um, is to look after orphans and widow in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, so the pollution part is an ongoing thing. There's still a lot of pollution in my life, I know, but, but we're working on that. And I couldn't figure out a way that widows were really appealing to me specifically as far as doing something because I, I wasn't ready to open a home for widows or anything like that. But we had kind of a base of children, and we had at least some experience, and, and we'd made some mistakes and, and recovered from them. And so we thought, well, maybe we can do something with orphans. So that's sort of where we started. And, and then, you know, you start looking for orphans, and, and they're everywhere. And so we're hitting the websites, and Tennessee has a website with children who need homes. And, and we were – it was revealed to us in, in a magazine called Above Ruby's Liberia. And there was a great story of a family who had adopted from Liberia. And at the time, I didn't even know who Liberia was. I kind of thought it was Siberia plus Libya something. I, I, I wasn't really sure. I, you know, you have to forgive me. I'm from Crossville, so our geography lessons were, you know, Cookville is the end of the world to the west, and <laughs> East Town Mall is you go out past that and you fall off the earth. So that, you know, I'm from Crossville, so that's under, isn't that right, Matt? Hey, that's you know, after Cookville. Nashville was rumored about. We had heard rumors of Nashville. <laughs> so Liberia was not on my radar. So we started studying about Liberia, and it's got an incredible history. Um, it's an American uh, creation. It was uh, freed slaves, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but we were looking for something to do with them back in the 1800s, and there was a desire to repatriate them to Africa, back to their home area, which isn't necessarily Liberia. They, they could have been from anywhere, but we, we got the land and, and we put them back there. And they immediately started to enslave the locals. And 
redo things. So, so there was a country, uh, it became free in 1847, and until 1980, only American Liberians, only former slaves or their prodigy had ever been in the government. And they ruled the 16 tribes that constitute the indigenous people. And so uh, in the no, 1950s, the indigenous people were given the vote, so that was something good. But the elections were all rigged. And it went on and on and on until in 1980, enough was enough, and a military coup happened. And a man came in charge, and, and was, he was the first Liberian native to rule in the government as president. And so they expected all these great changes, but he got panicky, and, and there was embezzlement and corruption just like in any group. It wasn't because he was Liberian native anymore than the, the corruption that had preceded him. This was just human nature and sin. And so following his coup five, six years later, uh, an American-trained Liberian, maybe from Sierra Leone, um, Charles Taylor went in, and they killed Doe, and they ate him. And now they were in charge, and, and war continued. And for 14 years, with outside help from Sierra Leone and the Ivory Coast and, and the 16 tribes were picking up fights, and everyone was killing each other, and the, the country degraded into a group of warlords, uh, many of many warlords. And they all had their own fights, and they were all mercenaries and would, would be paid by someone. And, but the majority of the people just wanted to live. And it, it was not a wealthy country to begin with. And there had been a lot of corruption and there was a lot of debt that had been raised. And so you take a poor country and then you just spit on it and, and it gets worse. So there was a lot of orphans and it had ties with us. And all of this started to work in our hearts. And then, um, you know, we were able to, to our, our, the, the exchange rate is $60 to one. One dollar of ours is 60 to theirs. So our money was valuable there. And it allowed us to amplify what we did because we don't have a lot of money, but we had more than $60. So we, we could, the exchange rate was to our advantage. And so China is a great place to adopt from. And, and we have friends who have adopted from China and Guatemala and Russia. And all of these are amazingly worthy projects. And, and, and that's awesome that God touches people in different ways. But we felt that we could not adopt from China because we couldn't afford it. We could probably adopt a child from Guatemala, but we were blessed we could adopt three children from Liberia. And, and to, to us, a child is a child, and, and they all are in need, and so, you know, that's where we went. So that's how we got hooked up with Liberia. So you, you, have, you have four now. Yeah, we, we, it's, it's a bit infectious once you start adopting from Liberia. Um, Tara's sister adopted a young lady from Liberia, a beautiful young girl, and when Amy went to pick her up, she wanted to introduce Amy, the adoptive mother, to her sister, who she had no idea existed. And so Amy came home with patience, and we celebrated, and within the first hours, she took us to the kitchen and said, just so you'll know, there's a sister there who is wallowing in filth and decay and, and so Tar and I just shrugged and said, okay, well, we go from three to four. So we, we turned around and renewed application processes, et cetera, and we were blessed to bring uh, our fourth Liberian girl over. Uh, introduce, introduce them. Um, Shakaya is my oldest, and she's 13. And uh, her sister, uh, Kyla, 
and they have a cousin, uh, Lydia, and they were the first group who came over. And then Naomi is Patience's aunt, we found out. They use uh, family terms a little loosely. So since they, she's about the same age as Patience, they were raised as sisters, but technically she's Patience's aunt, so that's Naomi. Now, I, I think for most of us, we, we hear that story and we say, well, that's, that's an amazing story, and it is. I mean, just, just, just that part of the story is, is an amazing story. And, it, and so for most of you, like me, at one point before I had the opportunity to meet the Roberts family and, and get to know them and, and then to also find out more about what was taking place in Liberia, tell, tell everybody for a moment, Will, what, tell them about some of the conditions in Liberia and, and what makes Liberia such a, such a place that if you could pull every orphan out of, out of Liberia would be such a worthy cause. Yeah, Liberia is an incredibly beautiful country. It's jungle and mountains to the east. It's located on West Africa. It's a coastal country, and the beaches have the potential to be gorgeous. You could imagine them lined with resorts and people making money for the local people. I mean, it it has the potential. It's a very beautiful place. Uh, You could have a lot of good there. But the wars, 14 years of wars, what happened is there's really one city in Liberia named Monrovia after President, President Monroe in America and it was holding around 200,000 people before the war. But see, these warlords would go out into the jungles and would take the men and the, the children and force them to kill and to do despicable things. And they'd attack the women and they would drive them out. And so the, the, the villages throughout Liberia were very unsafe. And so people sought refuge in Monrovia. So you took a, a country, a city that you know, it was a 200,000-person city, and they put over 2 million people, refugees, into it. And when you do that, then you have no agriculture because no one's left out in the bush growing food. And so, and after, you know, we have over a decade, 14 years, so we've got the loss of skills. People don't know how to grow food anymore. And the land that had been fought every year to keep the jungle from encroaching on fields and and being able to produce food has been reclaimed by the jungle. So there's not a lot of arable land that's easily accessible. Um, So two million people in a city for 200,000, they don't have food, they don't have facilities. The the warlords stripped the power lines, destroyed everything. It was, when I went to Liberia, it was the only country in the world that did not have electricity or running water in the capital. There was no electricity in the entire country except for what you could get with little generators. So at night, it was like looking over a campground because we were up on a hill, The, the compound I stayed with a warlord named, his name was General Yuri, and we stayed there and and could see out over the concrete walls with the glass embedded in cement. We could see out and see down the the coast, and it was just little fires and little lights from generators, and that's all there was. It was a lot like visiting a campground. But once it got night, that's when the the, the marauding bands of of villains came out. Um, In general, by the time you're eight, you've been raped or sexually enslaved if you're a female. Um, there's no work, so 70-plus percent of the people are out of work. And what work there is is, is pathetic. It's, I mean, there's not work. You don't go to Walmart and work. You stand in the street and you sell toilet paper or you sell phone cards or something. Um, they took the guns away from the people. The UN did. But, of course, the, the 
warlords didn't comply, so there's still a lot of weapons and a lot of, of, of abuse out there. Um, and so the UN is there helping to try to keep the peace. Um, what food there is, is is mostly entirely imported, so trucks with bags of rice and, and different groups will, will donate. Um, cannibalism is rampant. There's a lot of, of frightening things that go on um, that I didn't know about when I was there, which I'm really glad because I would have been even more afraid because I'm white meat. <laughs> and so I would have been very appealing, you know. But, uh, but it was really scary. Um, and we went out into the communities and, and just saw people drinking out of, of ponds. There's a guy washing a moped and children swimming and someone getting a bucket of water going back to their house. Um, so it was... It was beyond anything I could understand. I mean, I seen Sally Struthers and the, the pot-bellied kid with the flies in his eyes and skinny, and, and it was very touching, but I, I was broken. I, I've never been the same, and I can't get away from it anymore. So, it, you know, it, it, that's something that ruined me as far as being comfortable anymore because I just couldn't cope with people who are faced with that. So I have a great heart for anybody who's poor. The guy on the side of the street with a sign, God bless him. You know, uh, he's my friend too, but... Um, I don't know that I knew what what the world was like, so now I have at least a, an inkling. Yeah. Uh, the um, I, 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 it's hard it's hard to explain to you guys exactly, and, and so that you can see exactly some of the conditions that are in Liberia. And um, if uh, after the service, if you want to come talk to Will, Will can point you to a, a great resource to what, that you can see some stuff uh, that will absolutely just blow your mind um, and and really uh, help you understand and see uh, some of the things that are taking place in the country of Liberia today. And um, and, and it's not just Liberia. The, I mean, Liberia is, is one of the worst. It is, I guess it's one of the poorest countries in the world, correct? It, it has been. And, and there's a lot of poverty and all of them are so desperate and worthy. Uh, Liberia, again, just was God's got to point you somewhere, and, and that's where our direction is. So I, I don't at all believe that it's better or, or worse than any other place that your heart can be led. But it's it's just frightening in its intensity. So it, I mean, it sure is worthy of being a consideration as far as where can we reach out and help and touch lives. And um, and it and it's and it's kind of nice. And this is from sort of a selfish standpoint. The the native language is English, so that makes communication a little easier. Um, I'm kind of a a language phobe I, I don't speak other languages, so for me to go to to help in Spain would would be a little more uncomfortable because I don't speak Spanish. Or if I went to to Ghana, I don't speak their languages. But when I was over there, I could speak to actual people. There was no translators. I could sit and interact with these people. So from that perspective, it was just a blessing because it allowed me an access to the people that I might have been deprived of otherwise. I could meet them on their own terms. Um, Forty percent of the nation has a Christian background, so that's nice. Christianity is is at least welcomed there. Forty percent are demonic and animistic and 20% are, are Muslim. Uh, but so Christianity is the national religion. And so, you know, you're not at least going to be killed because you're a Christian. So it's open and allows you to carry the Bible and to talk. And, and you know, with my level of cowardice, I wasn't ready to go to Senegal, which is all Muslim and wear a Christ-like t-shirt. That scares me. So, so God bless the people who do that because it's so important, you know, yeah. North Korea and Vietnam and, you know, but but I could go there and talk and 
at least those aspects weren't dangerous. So it, it allows people like us to pack up and go over and to help mentor and to help disciple and to you know build a toilet. And you know there, there's a lot that, that made it practical for me. And so that was was good. Yeah. We uh, several months ago, I, I had a uh, I got a random email uh, from a guy Emmanuel. And uh, it was just this random email that said, uh, he called me Pastor Williams, which threw me off, you know, at first, because there's not a whole lot of people that call me Pastor Williams. Some people call me Pastor, but not Pastor Williams. And so uh, I get this email, and it's it's from this man whose name is Emmanuel. And uh, I start to read it, and as I start to read it, you've you've got these emails in your email box before, right? It's, It's the guy from another country who's wanting you to wire a million, you know, He's going to wire you a million dollars into your bank account, but you can't touch, you know, one of those kind of things. Well, I start to read this email, and I first think that this is, this is what, you know, this is what it's going to be. I'm like, great. You know, I don't even know why I opened it. Uh, but as I continue to read on, you know, first of all, he, he calls me Pastor Williams, and then he starts to talk, and then he mentions Will and his family, and, and he starts to talk, and he says, uh, one of the things that he says, he says, we, he goes, my, myself and, and, and others that I've shared with have been blessed by the Rich Community Church because we listen to your podcast. I listen to your podcast. He, and so he, he was talking about how he downloads our, our message on Sundays and he listens to it. And, and he, so he, he hears the gospel through, uh, through what we do here at the Rich Community Church. And, and so uh, he and I start to talk, we started to talk and email back and forth to one another and, um, and uh, just talking back and forth about how... Uh, how we can help him spread the gospel there and how, how we can be of assistance to him. And, and um, he's just, he'll email me sometimes and I'll just get a random email from him and he'll say, hey, this is what's going on. He's in school, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, he's a brilliant writer. I, I, I pirated one of his essays from a, it was a West African newspaper on the internet years ago when I started my website and uh, put it on our Liberian page, and he wrote an essay called When the White Men Come Again. And it just really touched me. It was a powerful and moving piece. And so I, I took it, and I republished it with his credit. I didn't steal it, but I just I, I put a link to it and had it. And, uh, and then he was out of country because he escaped the war, and he and his sister fled. He's 30-ish now, mid-30s, I think. He and his sister fled, walked across the country, across the Sahara Desert to escape prosecution everywhere they went. His sister died in a refugee camp, and he's recently made his way back to Liberia, which is his home country, and entered school. Liberia has the oldest university in all of Africa, and he's attending university, and finally, for the first time in his life, had internet and found his article published in America. So he wrote to me and thanked me for, for putting the word out, and I was just amazed that this person would write to me, you know, and so he and I have struck up a friendship, and I wrote to him this morning. I mean, we, we, I've now got him on Facebook, so I've corrupted him infinitely. So he's <laughs> ru- ruined, but uh, he posts to me on Facebook all the time, little so we can keep track of each other, and I'm helping him pay for his tuition and working on getting him a laptop and doing some things to help him and his family in Liberia on a, on a very one-on-one Western Union level, not on a Samaritan's Purse level. So that's, but yes, I did tell him that if you wanted a church, Oak Ridge has got the best church in the world. And so I got him on the website and turned him on to Pastor Bobby. Yeah, he, 
he, he just has the most encouraging emails all the time. And so he, uh, we, 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 have these, we have these obvious connections to Liberia. And not only do we have the Roberts family, uh, but, you know, through Emmanuel. Uh, so w- we have these obvious connections to Liberia. And so for us, it was as a staff, when we sat around and talked about this, this was a no-brainer for us to say, this is where we want to concentrate our efforts. This is where we want to concentrate our money and, and to doing these types of things. And, and so to let you know some of what Samaritan's Purse does there, they, uh, they will help build wells, clean water wells, so that uh, people can have clean water, so that they are not uh, drinking from where they're washing cars and doing other things uh, there. Um, so they, they're building clean water wells. They are uh, helping uh, purify water. Uh, that is already there. Um, they are, as Will was telling you, uh, they are an organization who will, will also import food, help uh, bring the food into the country, and, and try to keep it out of uh, the hands of people who will just corrupt it. Um, and then they, they're spreading the gospel there. They're, they're preaching there, and they're, they're trying to uh, teach and uh, train and uh, disciple other people in the area to be able to spread the gospel in Liberia and beyond. And so uh, Samaritan's Purse is doing a, a great work there, and that's just one of the places where Samaritan's Purse is doing a great work. And so um, it was a no-brainer for us to say, this is where we want to send our, our money, this is where we want to, to concentrate our efforts uh, with this. So, um, so you all know where, when, when you give every Sunday, when you give a portion of everything that you give, every, every time that you give here on Sundays, a portion of, of what you give goes to those things. It helps goes to to those efforts in Liberia, and you you can just look and, and, and talk to Will and and Tara and and their family and, and and talk to them and 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 you can see and hear what being a believer in doing what this says, what this commands does, and you can see it. You can see it in their lives, you can see it in their family, and you, you can see what kind of results come from that. And so, as we close today, I want you guys to, the band's going to come up and we're going to close, and I'm not, we're not going to do anything special, I'm not going to, I'll pray here in just a moment, but I just want you all to know that um, we're not just a church that is going to talk about trying to do something and say, well, we would just, let's send, let's send some people over for a week once every couple of years and, and do something nice for some people. I, I, I don't know if that does much, I don't know who that does more good for. You you and I or them. And so we don't want to be just that. And and so as we as we close today, um, we, we shot a little video uh, a couple of weeks ago to give you sort of a, a visual picture of what it looks like and, and, and what what others have to go through on a daily basis just to have things that you and I take for granted like clean water. By going to, like I did this morning, going to my bathroom, flipping on hot, warm, clean water and taking a nice shower this morning. How easy that was for me. Whereas in parts of the, of the world like Liberia and other places where they will walk miles and miles and miles in the blazing heat to get water and bring it back to their village, to their home, 
so that they can have water that is not even clean. It's not even clean. And they've carried it for miles. We're talking like five-gallon buckets uh, of water. And, and, and so let me, let me share this last quote from you from Francis Chan, again from Crazy Love. And he says this. He says, um, People who are obsessed with Jesus live lives that connect them with the poor in some way or another. Obsessed people believe that Jesus talked about money and the poor so often because it was really important to him. It's sad that living a life that notices the poor and takes care of those who are in need is called a radical life. That's sad. That's sad. If, if, if we as a church look at this and say, you know what, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're going to dump as much resource and as much money and as much time into this, not only locally but globally as we can, and we're going to be a church that does that, and other people look at that and say, well, that's That's radical. Like, that's, that's out there. There's not a lot of churches that do that. If people look at that, if people will look at us and say that, not just us, but other places, they will look at, look at, at the Roberts family and say, what you guys did by doing what you did, by bringing these four ladies from Liberia, that's radical. And Will and Tara would simply say back to people easily, we're just doing what God has called us to do. What's radical about that? And so to look at that it, it is sad to say that that is radical. That's not radical. That's called Bible. That's called Bible. And if that's radical, I guess it's radical. But that's the way that as believers we're supposed to live. 